0: Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And once again, I am joined by my student on this Tactical Tuesday, John Chai. John, how are you doing, my friend?
1: Doing well, Brad. Thanks for having me
0: back. It's my pleasure. You want to tell the listener what we're going to dive into in this week's Tactical Tuesday.
1: Sure. Uh, this week's Tactical Tuesday is going to be an extension of last week's Tactical Tuesday, where we looked at unnatural and under-bluff spots in the 6-max cash pool on Ignition.
0: Very very creative uh, choice in themes here. I'm going to guess that if you come back next week for Tactical Tuesday, we're probably going to be covering <laughs> unnatural
1: bluff spots part three. I think it's probably what I view as one of the more exciting types of hands to talk about. Probably we'll bring some more next week if you, if, you, if you have me back. I mean, I love these hands personally. They're something
0: that we cover in our coaching sessions together. Finding raises, finding bets when most people just overlook them, don't even see them as really an option. Something that happens with poker players over time is they just kind of get tunnel vision. They don't consider every single door. And sometimes the doors that you don't consider are the ones where you can capture
1: the most EV. Yeah, I totally agree. I think not seeing the bluff door or the raise option um, on pretty much every street was something that I struggled with uh, before doing coaching with you. And something that I still think that I'm not particularly good at right now is, is, uh, is kind of seeing the option to bluff instead of just call or fold or seeing the option to jam instead of just call or fold.
0: And that opinion of yourself might be suspect when we get into hand number two, I'll let the listener judge for themselves, but hand number one, we're going to start with a hand that I played in the 500 zone pool on ignition. It's a very small pool. We were only playing three-handed. There were like nine people, I think, total in the pool. And I open the button with the eight of diamonds, nine of diamonds to $12.50, so 2.5X. The small blind goes ahead and folds, and now the big blind three bets us. We're playing a little bit over 100 big blinds, effective 110 big blinds or so. The big blind three bets us to $50. Any thoughts here, John?
1: My opinion on big blind three bets and six max cash is that most players are not doing a good enough job of polarizing their three bet range. I think the population tendency in this spot is to under bluff the bottom portion of their three bet range. So I would expect to see not, you know, theoretically, I would expect to see not enough Um, hands like six, seven suited, seven, eight suited, and maybe too, uh, I'd expect to see maybe too much of a kind of a linear three betting range from the big blind, if anything.
0: What do you think leads to that mistake of not polarizing well out of the big blind facing a button open?
1: The reason I think the big blind does not polarize properly is because they are just naturally incentivized to call with those bottom of range hands, those bottom of range three bet hands are not getting three bet from any other position. So it's, it takes a level of adjustment, I think, to, you know, just start three betting seven, six suited when you are never three betting that hand from any other spot. Well, we don't want to reopen the action with six, seven suited. I think human beings
0: just don't want to from the big blind, because the downside is you're building a a bigger pot out of position and you're also reopening the action and we don't want to get four bet and, not get to realize our equity by just flatting. So all of these factors align just basically mean that players are not going to do a great job of polarizing out of the big blind facing button opens unless they've specifically studied what they ought to be three betting with out of the big blind facing a button open, which is a hard thing to intuit naturally without seeing some sort of optimized grids. And with all that said, I open 2.5x, the big blind 3-bets me to 10 big blinds, so 3-bets me to $50 with 8-9 suited. Any thoughts uh, of 4-betting here, pure flat? What do you think?
1: 8-9 suited for me is going to be a pure flat in position versus a big blind 3-bet. Um, I think especially considering the assumptions that we just discussed about the big blind not 3-betting uh, polar enough range, um, if we assume that the big blend is going to be too value heavy, then I think we definitely want to just be flatting the 9-8 suited and, and uh, not reopening the action.
0: And in general, I would rather choose some hands that are somewhat difficult to continue with that have some blockers to 4-bet with, like a queen-10 off or something like that. I think that makes a lot more sense than 8-9 suited because, again, we don't want to give our opponent the option of just ripping it in and us not getting to realize our equity with eight, nine suited, So very incentivized to flat here. It's a pure call for me as well. So I go ahead and click the call button. There's now $102.50 in the pot. And now the, the big line starts out by betting $60.30. So about a 60% pot size bet. I have an open ender on 10 of hearts, seven of clubs, deuce of diamonds. What do you think here,
1: John? I like this, uh, see size. I think there are going to be two types of regs in the spot. One type that is just blindly c betting a third pot with their entire range and a slightly more sophisticated class of reg that are, uh, going to be, splitting their CBET range into either two sizes or use the large size and uh, also have a checking range.
0: And the larger sizing makes our life a little bit more difficult with some natural continues. Like this eight, nine suited could very easily become a raise facing the one third and wouldn't really think much about it. Facing the 60%, we do have to think about it, right? Like we don't want to get bet three bet. We want to realize our equity. We have position. Any thoughts of raising this CBET?
1: Like you said, I think versus the smaller size, I would be way more tempted to raise uh, considering that the big blind is just probably betting their entire range and has tons of overcard hands that we can fold out. It's good for us to fold out hands like king, queen offsuit and ace, jack suited when we have nine high Um, versus the large size, though. I think it's uh, much more reasonable to go for a flat. Um, especially if we think that this is a reg that is also going to be checking the flop some of the time, the large size probably indicates that they have a hand that has a little bit more potential on this flop than you know just some raggedy overcards
0: yeah it's hard to know because they're just an anonymous player in an anonymous zone pool, so we have no extra information to kind of guide our decision making here but Intuitively, I thought that 8-9 suited played better as a flat in position. So I call, and the turn is the tray of diamonds. There's 221 in the pot. The preflop raiser now checks. So we pick up a diamond draw. SPRs a little bit more than two. What are your thoughts once the preflop raiser checks and we have an open and straight draw with a flush draw now?
1: So I think a couple months ago when I was playing slightly lower stakes when I was playing 100 NL and and 200 NL. This is a spot where I would have been really happy to just bet the turn once the pre-flop three better checks and um, just try to win the pot a decent amount on the turn, hoping that the big blind in the situation is just giving up on the turn. As I've moved up stakes, I've gotten completely destroyed with that strategy, betting my draws on the turn, especially betting some of my weaker draws in an an attempt to just pick up the pot right there. And the way that I've been getting punished for that is by encountering a lot more check jams on the turn. I think the big blind can be checking hands like Ace King of Diamonds here with intent to check jam over a bet. I think the big blind could also be checking uh, over pairs here uh, with the same intent to just jam over a bet. That's what I think for uh, a value check jam range, that's uh, mostly the type of hands that I've been encountering when I take a stab on the turn. And it's sort of a disaster, especially with a hand as good as 9-8 of diamonds uh, to get jammed on here, especially when you start considering that probably a decent portion of the big blinds check jam range are going to be diamonds that are better than ours.
0: Yeah, and for the listener, just so that you can visualize this better, The board is 10 of hearts, 7 of clubs, deuce of diamonds, tray of diamonds. There's 221 in the pot, and we have about 470 total behind. So that's the situation. I felt the same as you in the moment, John, that I wanted to be able to put the last bet into the pot, but I was afraid of getting check jammed on with a hand as strong as eight, nine of diamonds. I wanted the opportunity to realize my equity. I think another way that I could have gone thinking back on it is I could have just jammed the turn instead of checking back. I I think jamming the turn is potentially an option. Um, I would have to run the numbers and think about it, but in the moment, you know, you got 15 seconds to, (laughs) you got 15 seconds to (laughs) act in the pool with no time bank. So you got to think fast and, so, I did decide to check back to attempt to realize equity and then reach a decision point a little bit deeper in the tree and see see if we can make something happen. So I check back and the river's the ace of hearts, and now the preflop three better bets sixty six dollars thirty three cents. There's two twenty one in the pot. Why don't you talk about how you would approach this spot and tell the listener what you think about the
1: viable options? So, I guess the first thing I would say is that this is, I think this is a really cool size from the Big Blind, especially on the ASM and Hearts, um, you know, betting really small. I think this is potentially something that the Big Blind might do with some of his X hands that just got there. Um, I think it puts a lot of our, kind of our hands that have showdown value in a difficult situation. Uh, I also think this is a great size to kind of represent the, bluff, uh, represent the ACE when he is bluffing. It's just, he gets to kind of get away with bluffing uh, extremely cheaply in the moment. I think it's kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of the, at the beginning of this episode, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, I would have seen this bet and just thought to myself, well, I can't call with nine high, so my only option is to fold. But obviously, we wouldn't be talking about this hand if we just folded the eight, nine of diamonds <laughs> on the river.
0: <laughs> that would be a pretty boring hand if <laughs> we, we didn't do anything. I would say that like the ace on the river is going to be the most overbluff card in the deck. It's just a card that the big blind absolutely has to bet once we check back. I'm with you. I love their sizing here. It's a it's a bet that doesn't need to work that often with their bluffs to turn a profit. And if people are not seeing that door, the door of raising with their busted draws, it will turn a profit. It it will absolutely turn a profit. And if they're not seeing a call with pretty much any pair that they have, then it's going to turn a profit as well. Like you you just can't fold here getting close to close to 5 to 1. You have to be right so rarely when you call this bet that you just can't fold on an overbluffed card with pretty much any pair. Unfortunately, I don't have the option of calling with nine high because it's hard to win with nine high, no matter, (laughs) no matter what, (laughs) no matter what I do. So I do find the raise. I find the raise pretty quickly in the video. I I pretty much, pretty much instantly intuitively knew that this is going to be a card. Villains going to be bluffing with a high frequency And that I ought to continue in some fashion. So I did choose to raise. I raised to 256. The reason that I chose 256 was I look at these situations as kind of like bets. There's 290 in the pot. I'm risking 256 to win 290. My opponent needs to fold around 50% in order for me to make a profit. And that's a bet that I just felt like was a good bet to take in the moment. There are some different options here. Tell me what you think about the sizing and any alternatives that come to mind.
1: I'm not sure what the best sizing is on the river, to be honest. In general, when I'm bluff raising or deciding kind of how big to go with a bluff, I tend to just kind of default towards a larger size, I think, in general, just betting bigger, bigger sizes puts uh, more pressure on our opponents and and just folds out more of their range. I also think like that is a big part of that is is psychological for me. Where if I do pick the small sizing and get called, I can sometimes end up beating myself up on the you know after getting called you know thinking like oh like of course you should have just gone the bigger sizing and and tried like harder to get the fold uh, than you know doing picking a, uh, a slightly fancier sizing and, and trying to sort of finesse the pot a little bit. So I like the sizing. Um, I think I personally might've gone a little bit larger, but I think 256 is um, totally fine to me. I think like the most impressive part of the river was that you found the raise in like nine seconds or something, or you even less than that.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I, I what's funny is like, I talk about it on this show a lot. That like the time to prepare is beforehand, and when you go to battle, that's the time to execute. That's when you're just in the flow, as Jason Sue might say. You're present, right? You're present. You're you're feeling it. And raise just felt good, so I raised. It was really as simple as that. I, I thought that was the right decision. I, I would be interested to. Look at a shove to see if a shove folded out any of their ace X because I think that shoving and folding out ace X is a really, really, really big win here for us. So that's an alternative that I could explore and then and that I think is worth exploring. But as played, I'm happy with the way that this hand went down. I looked up what our opponent had afterwards. Our opponent had the queen five of diamonds. So Wow. So the flop was 10 of hearts, seven of clubs, deuce of diamonds, tray of diamonds. On the turn, when they checked, they did have a flush draw, which is very dangerous for me. If I would have bet, bet I'm absolutely positive I was getting
1: check jammed on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that is the nightmare that they have a bigger flush draw on the turn and, and, and you get check jammed on and you're not sure whether to call or not with a the, with the nine eye flush draw. And when you do call, some of the time you're just completely dominated.
0: Yeah. Now I remember it's coming back to me a little bit, but I expected my opponent to be betting this turn with a high frequency. I was actually going to be jamming over a bet. That was my plan on the flop. I even verbalized that in my video. And when they didn't bet the turn, I kind of got stuck. It froze me because I was fully expecting them to bet. And then they checked and, and my plan kind of got foiled and I didn't really know exactly what to do and just realized like, well, if they're not betting, there's a good chance they're check raising me here and I don't want to get blown off my equity. So I decided to check back.
1: Is that river raise something that you're also thinking about on the prior street? So on the turn, when you check back, are are you already kind of, do you already have the uh, potential river, river raise in mind? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's possible that it's working somewhere
0: in the background processes of my mind, but this freaking ignition zone, man, you got 15 seconds to act on every street <laughs> with no time bank. Like it, <laughs> there's a filter in your brain that filters out a lot of the verbalizations and a lot of the things that you think about consciously. So it's possible that I was considering raising a river bet when I checked back on the turn if I didn't realize my equity, but the situation just kind of fell into place where ace on the river, going to be overbluffed, and just felt like a spot villain's going to be betting too frequently. So my raise felt like a pretty good bet for me to make in the moment, and I just took it.
1: Oh. Nice. Do you think the, uh, my last question on this hand, do you think that two fifty six on the river ever folds out an ace? I have no idea. I wouldn't think so.
0: Right. I wouldn't think so. Just because we're repping so thin, like we're repping a bunch of two pairs and maybe a check back set. I think that an ace is likely just going to feel confused, not know what to do and just find a call button just to kind of see
1: what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that is why it's uh, especially worth looking into uh, whether a jam can fold out some of their ace or not. Absolutely. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. And now, after the
0: jump, we're going to get into hand number two. This is a hand that John played where he misclicked, and that misclick led to him finding an exploit that I think is really, really cool. So stick around after the break, and we will explore John's misclick. Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential, so I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? for now and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future the price of admission to the live poker power hour is 100 percent free all you've got to do to get your invite is head to chasingpokergreatness.com and hop on the vip newsletter no more excuses no more procrastination it's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality i hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days All right, so we're about to dive into hand number two, but before we do, I just wanted to tell you the villagers in Greatness Village, some of the coaches are getting together and battling against one another. We're recording our thought processes while we play against one another. Me and John will both be a part of that, as will Coach Thomas and some of the higher-level players in the Slack community. We're doing it as you know, a live, interesting, play and explain all against each other. We're going to edit and mash up all of our thought processes and you'll get access to those videos, joining the Chasing Poker Greatness newsletter, hopping into the private Slack community. That'll give you access to about 12 hours of footage from all of us explaining our thought processes in real time. So if that's something that sounds like you want to check out, I would go ahead and do that. And now hand number two, set us up, John.
1: So this hand happens at five ten no limit, uh, 6 max cash on ignition. Hand starts by folding around to me on the button. I have 100 big blinds, as does my opponent in the big blind. I have the 5 free of hearts. I decide to open to 2.5x the small blind folds and the big blind calls. Uh The big blind in this hand uh also appears to be a reg based on his stats Um over the 200 hands that I've been sitting with him. The flop comes queen of spades, eight of hearts, six of hearts. I have the five three of hearts, so I've flopped a flush draw. It's a pretty good flop. Have some uh, nice backdoor straight potential as well. There's $55 in the plot. The big blind checks, and I decided to go ahead and see about a third, $17
0: and I don't want to distract from this hand, but this tray Five of Hearts, a hand like this, I'm looking at the small blind's three-bet percentage. It looks to be three, they look to be three-betting 12%. This is a hand that I might chunk into a four-bet range if the small blind does three-bet me. I would be way more likely to four-bet. No, if the small blind did. Oh, the
1: small blind, okay. Yeah,
0: just because of the small blind's likely playing a three-bet or fold strategy. So if they three-bet, Trey five suit is not a hand that I can continue with, but it's a hand that I might chunk into my four bet bluff range. If I'm feeling frisky just because I can't call with it pre-flop, right? So basically the eight, nine of diamonds hand where I treat as a pure call because I want to call and realize equity. Trey five, just not good enough to call a three bet. So I would be four betting. All of that is just a, an aside to this spot. To remind the listener, queen of spades, eight of hearts, six of hearts. Fill in checks, and now we go ahead and bet about one-third. Everything here looks totally normal with our flush draw. No reason to check back. No reason to go big. If we bet small, fill in raises. We have a very natural and easy path forward. So really have nothing to say about this. Our opponent does, in fact, decide to peel. And the turn is the six of spades. So queen of spades, eight of hearts, six of hearts, six of spades. Turn pairs the board and puts up a backdoor flush draw. There's $90 in the pot and the big blind checks.
1: John, tell me about what happened next. So this is where the hand starts getting a little bit interesting. The big blind checks and my kind of standard size on the spot would be to go ahead and just bet two thirds. I think that is probably the one of the most kind of generic and, and common lines that you see is C betting a third and then going a uh, larger size or larger sizing on the turn. Um, I think my hand specifically five, high just benefits from folding out pretty much everything, but I make a mistake and bet one third on the turn again, instead of two thirds. So I bet $28 into 89 and the big blind check raises to $126. Which is kind of expected once
0: you throw out this one third CBET sizing. I think the big blind is going to perceive that they have more 6X in their range. Feels like a good spot to start raising us. And really no option here other than clicking the call button, right?
1: Right. Yeah. So... I do call the $126. There's now $342 in the middle, and the river is the Ace of Spades. So the board is 8 of Hearts, Queen of Spades, 6 of Hearts, 6 of Spades, Ace of Spades. Uh, the backdoor flush draw gets there, and the big blinds bets $220 on the river, about two-thirds pot.
0: Yeah, and I have to say, I don't really love this bet from the big blind. If they do have 6 x. I'm just going to say I don't like it because we're very unprotected versus a raise. You on the button here have queens full, you have eights full, you have aces full. You just have so many more combos of full houses that you can't do anything versus a raise. You're just going to be folding so, so, so often with your 6x that when you're not protected against a raise, you probably shouldn't be firing two thirds here if you're the villain
1: in the big blind. Right. I totally agree. I think that is the conclusion that I came to on the river. I think uh kind of a big part of coming to that conclusion is that the once the big blind doesn't check raise on Queen Eight Six Two Tone, the number of boats that he can have just plummet because I would expect him to be check raising all the sets and all of his two pairs on a flop that wet. So in my opinion, uh like you said, he just he can't have Queen Six Eight Six pocket eights or pocket sixes once he flats the flop seabed. bet so i think the absolute best hand the big blind can show up with here on the river is a6 for the runner runner boat but for value the vast majority of the time like you said it's 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 just going to be naked uh naked six naked
0: six maybe some backdoor flush draws but even those are going to be hard pressed to proceed here facing a river jam. And I mean, if Villain's got a six, he's got a six. Like he just kind of gets our money, right? Like that's such a small part of Villain's range. I would say that this
1: actually, what would you do with a hand like King Queen here? So top pair. I honestly think that I might jam everything on the river, just trying to get a fold from a six. I think that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, I think I might bring King Queen into a bluff
0: yeah it's it's just what about like ace x of hearts, so you river top pair
1: yeah, I think in game, I probably call more than I would like to see myself call when i when I river an ace, just you know kind of telling myself that I have a hand that's that's good enough to call and i i you know I beat all the bluffs, but I think that that's actually a mistake, and that you know when I can get folds from a huge portion of his value range. And, uh, you know, I don't beat very many of his uh, river value bets, even with an ace. Um, I should be thinking about turning it into a bluff more often than uh, I probably actually do.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of funny. I'm pressing you because we have five high, so it's a pretty easy decision with five high. And as we get pairs that are bigger and bigger, it's like, Oh, now, now I feel like maybe we should start leaning towards calling or maybe the siren song of just click the call button is much stronger as we river hands like ace deuce of hearts where we river top pair Uh, much easier to talk ourselves into a call i would much rather just have the five high here (laughs) where we have no option right there is no alternative just rip it in
1: yeah i i think that you're right like the decision is much easier when you just have a brick flush draw and and absolutely zero showdown value i think when you do have an ace or king queen it's easy to either trick yourself into saying that you have enough showdown value to just call and and not kind of go for the big bluff on the river, or it's easy to make the mistake to think that you have enough showdown value to call and, and, you know, just call thinking that you have the best hand enough of the time.
0: So you rip it in, you rip it in for 831 over the $220 bet. Your opponent folds. However, I do want to ask you about the timing how long did it take your opponent to fold do we know what they had
1: uh we do know what they had my the big blind actually folded so quickly that i thought he was bluffing on the river um and that i just re-bluffed him i went back and uh looked at the hands after downloading the hand history and it turned out that the big blind had eight seven of spades so he flopped middle pair, backdoor flush draw, backdoor straight draw on on queen 8-6, and then uh, turn to flush draw on the six of spades, river to flush, and almost snap folded.
0: I can say that I have no idea what they're doing here. I, I don't know why they would raise the turn with middle pair and a flush draw. I think that's kind of odd. Um, and then I don't love their bet here on the river because they're just so exposed. Like, if they're folding their flushes, they're obviously going to be folding their six X and their defense against this shove is just, they just don't have hardly any hands in their defense range. They're just totally vulnerable.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, and you know, if this jam is working against, against the flush, then, you know, I actually, I like it a lot more considering that he's probably going to fold six X, um, you know, all of the six X uh, that isn't a full house. If he's snap folding flushes on the river. Um, but yeah, uh, the part about you saying you don't get what he's doing on the turn. I, I agree with that as well. I don't, I don't see a great reason to raise middle pair in a flush draw. Um, I would be just very happy that my opponent bet a third on the turn and I would just take my equity and call. Agreed. Like, oh,
0: cool. Villain size down. We have the best hand sometimes and we got some backup when we don't. We block um, some combos of their full houses. So let's just call and
1: play a river. Yeah. So funnily enough, my misclick on the turn and his... Bad play on the turn was, was what allowed me to win the pot i think if neither if, if one of those two things hadn't happened it would have been much more difficult for me to to win this pot.
0: yeah because you would have just sized up on the turn they would have called with their pair plus flush draw and then you would have bluffed the river and they would have just flatted and not ripped it in with their flush and they just win this pot
1: right right or i just bet small on the turn and he, any he flats turn and same thing happens on the river where you can just check call the river right so
0: Congratulations on our villain taking some aggressive actions with really no clear path as to what they're trying to accomplish or what they're trying to do. And you punish them in exactly the way that they deserve by jamming the river with your five high and folding out a flush. Oh, well played, sir. Nice hand. This is a great way to close this episode of tactical Tuesday. I'm sure the listener will love these type of hands. So maybe you get a part three, next week if terminator thomas is still in the shop but man it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you on the show and i look forward to doing more of these with you in the future well thanks for having me on again take care and i'll catch you next week